Suda. Episode 113, 113 of Full of Sith. I am not the Mike Pilot, obviously. He is on a very important assignment that will leave him laden with crab cakes and other fishy treats to mow down on. But because of his seafood-rich endeavor that he has undertaken, he is not here. However, Amy Ratcliffe of Nerdist.com is back. Say hello, Amy. Hello, everybody. And of course, Brian Young of Big Shiny Robot. Howdy do. And uh, last week we tried to talk our way through the post-celebration hangover. And this week, this week we're going to talk about the aftermath. Now, last week we were all bleary-eyed and doing the whole, oh, God, what happened? I think I remember it going like this. Were you there? Am I remembering this right? We, we did that whole thing. And this week we're going to manage to make it into the living room. And there's a bit of a mess on the floor and we got to take stock of that mess there were things about celebration that we thought we were going to get but we didn't but before we get too far into that there's one last bit of business one last cobweb that we got to shake free from celebration like like boss nass we just got to get it out of our heads real fast before we go wading into the aftermath and of course that last bit of is coming from brian young brian you wanted to talk about luke skywalker's lightsaber so I did, actually, and it, it's not necessarily from Celebration, but conversations I had at Celebration got the gears turning on this, right? Mm-hmm. The traditional story we've heard about Luke's green saber is that uh, he went to Obi-Wan Kenobi's hovel and put it together based on Obi-Wan's instructions, right? One of the deleted scenes just has him in a cave putting it together. Like, and I know yeah. in, and I know in the radio drama, he's actually in Ben's hovel, hut, bachelor pad. Well, Clone Wars gave us a different view of it where you need to have a specific mastery of the Force to calibrate the crystal to everything else. Yeah, there was the Doctor Who droid taught everybody how to make this sort of connects bionicle version of a lightsaber that fits together, and then that's how you end up with your own functioning lightsaber, right? Yes, and each lightsaber is sort of personal to each user. Mm -hmm. And um, in the book, Heir to the Jedi, which came out, I think it was last month, There's a scene also where Luke comes to the realization that there's no way he'd be able to tune a lightsaber by hand. You would have to wield the force to create this lightsaber. Mm. Fast forward to Rebels where you've got Ezra finding this Jedi temple that was hidden on Lothal for years and years and years and finds a crystal and under the tutelage of his master is able to cobble something together that's appropriate for him. Yeah, he puts together this uh, this Lego blaster thing that also has a lightsaber that shoots out of the top. So the thinking is, is like, uh, there's been stories that hinted around where Luke is getting his lightsaber, where, whether that's Shadows of the Empire, these deleted scenes, or with the radio drama. There's actually a story there that, that will probably come at some point where we actually see Luke finding one of these Jedi temples and going through that that uh, test of the cave to come out with his own lightsaber crystal. Maybe that is why he failed at the cave with Yoda, because he already brought in a lightsaber and was ready to fight and saw some dark side of him, but maybe he had to go back and uh, take that test over again. Sooner or later, someone's going to go, you know what we haven't filled back in yet? Mm -hmm. That period of time between Empire and Jedi. So I just think the way that they've been handling lightsabers over the last few years Not a would, would, change, <laughs> would change how that story is going to play out when they eventually give it to us and not be sort of what we've traditionally thought of it as. I think it could be addressed in the, in the new film. Not a flashback by any means, mm. but I wouldn't be surprised if, there, if it comes up in the sequel trilogy where a character gets a lightsaber and I could see him saying... Not like explicitly like step by step, but him being like, well, and I got my lightsaber, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I like the idea of watching Return of the Jedi like you haven't seen it before. And if you're a kid now and you watch A New Hope and Empire and then all of uh, episode one and two and all the Clone Wars and episode three 
then Rebels, and then you come back to Return of the Jedi. I love that moment in Return of the Jedi where you're like, he doesn't have a lightsaber anymore. Mm -hmm. And then when R2 pops up with it, it's a really powerful moment now trying to fill in those blanks with like, here's what we've seen all the other Jedi do to get one of those. That's something Luke must have gone through, and we didn't get to see that. I think you just accidentally made like a really good argument for us not ever seeing that in in a book or a movie uh precisely because it's one of the few surprises in the movies that can be kept relatively intact uh by simply not doing anything so like if we if we don't ever go back and find out exactly how he made a lightsaber or even that he was making a lightsaber uh when r2 uh shoots it out of the top of his dome like a freshly toasted bagel and it lands in Luke's hands that's still going to be surprising that's that moment is still going to work when the music rises if we have this big old thing where we see Luke putting it together I mean that's part of the reason it got deleted from the movie in the first place if I remember correctly not only because it was sort of slowing down the pacing of the movie but it kind of wrecks the surprise like on Jabba's barge if you know he's already built a lightsaber when we watched him build one it's just a matter of marking time until R2 pops well, it out and it, it also makes the rancor fight useless it's just like you're like why doesn't he pull out his lightsaber yeah you why end doesn't up, yeah. he pull out his lightsaber mm-hmm. so i mean i i think you just sort of ended up making a pretty decent argument as to why we probably will never see how luke comes up with his lightsaber or sees him building the lightsaber maybe we'll get like a reference to it in a novel or something but it was just something i've been thinking about yeah. i wanted to run it by you i didn't want to take it to naberi territory well, but uh, and, and thank you for that brian thank you very much <laughs> I appreciate your restraint in this matter. (laughs) All right. Now, let's get into the celebration aftermath. Okay. We've walked out into the living room and we got to start to pick up the mess that was made. And the mess uh, consists of things that we thought we were going to get at celebration and we didn't get. Uh, The first thing that everyone seemed fairly convinced we were definitely, absolutely, 100% going to get. I remember watching, um, I think, like John Campia's show on uh, AMC Movie News. He has that YouTube channel where uh, Christian Harloff shows up and they they talk about Star Wars for about an hour and a half every month or so. And on that show, they were 100% guaranteed. They weren't sure that the trailer was going to be shown. And they were pretty sure that if they showed any part of the trailer, it would just be a snippet or a segment or something. But they were 100% dead certain that we were going to get a poster from Drew Struzan, and we did not get that at all. We got a teaser poster, which was just the logo and the word December at the bottom of it. And it was a really oddly distorted logo, too. It was a really weird poster. Yeah, well, and the version of the poster that's showing up in theaters is just the logo straight up. It's not that weird skewed thing. Uh, But we definitely did not get a Drew Struzan poster. Now, we did get uh, three pieces of promotional artwork, and I think those are supposed to be... This is how I think of them, because I used to work at Sam Goody for God knows how long. Those posters that you put in that weird poster rack in the back next to, like, you know, Tupac with bad poetry and Sopranos posters and uh, Austin 316 says, I'll kick your ass or whatever those posters were. And then these Star Wars posters, I think, would go right next to those on that weird Sam Goody rack. We got three of those with decent artwork but were those were those struzan pieces do either of you know no oh man i've seen the, one of the kylo ren ones but i haven't seen them like released in any sort of like official yeah is the best teaser poster of all time the episode one we're we gonna roll with that let's just talk about the teasers we don't have to talk about the posters in general because then we're gonna start it's basically like uh which gold brick here weighs the most because once you start getting into drew struzan's artwork then you know it's all beautiful it's all wonderful but like the episode one poster is very memorable not only because the the marketing campaign for episode one just sticks in everybody's head it was so huge and it was so omnipresent how do you feel of the prequels which one basically marketed itself the best I think the one that got people the most pumped because they hadn't actually seen a prequel yet was that Phantom Menace poster with uh, Jake Lloyd walking toward the camera Mm -hmm. and the shadow of Vader against him. I really liked the Attack of the Clones one, though, where you had Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman facing back to back, and it said something like, a Jedi shall not know anger, nor hatred, nor love, and then an ellipsis. Mm -hmm. Like, that always gave me the chills. It gave me the chills saying that again yeah it was weird because they they had him with a red saber on the front though which confused a lot of people that was one of those weird artistic touches that they put in that had people thinking the movie was going to go one way and then it did not really go that way they had luke with a red saber in the the original revenge of the jedi teasers too which that's one of my favorite posters also that red and Mm -hmm. yellow kind of silhouette yeah it's a still frame from uh empire strikes back 
and they very artistically uh, stuck it against this sort of splattery red and black background with Vader's helmet looming over everything. Yeah, the Revenge of the Sith teaser poster where they had Vader's face come out of Anakin's cape. That was ass. That looked awful. Yeah. That was terrible. That was a bad idea. (laughs) That was a bad idea that was not well executed. Uh, But the actual Revenge of the Sith poster, the one that Struzan did, I think I like that one more than I like any of the other prequel posters. I really do like that one. Although I heard that they they sort of, after the fact, went in and sort of touched it up in Photoshop, which I feel is sort of heretical. Like, if Drew Struzan painted you something pretty... You leave that you alone. You don't touch that. Yeah, don't yeah, take that don't. into don't take that into Photoshop. You just go ahead and leave that alone. But I really do uh, like that poster more than uh, the other two prequel posters. I'm with you, Bobby. Revenge of the Sith one is especially just the the layout and the the way that it's structured uh, with the focus being on Anakin and Obi Wan. I think it's beautiful. I'll be the contrarian here. I think Drew Struzan's Phantom Menace poster. I think it's just really cool. Yeah. With with Maul's eyes facing at you, those J.J. Abrams lens flares. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Padme, they, he picked like the most iconic Padme outfit, Qui-Gon. Like it had all the elements and it just, I don't know, maybe I just have a lot of fondness for that poster yeah. in that movie. But well, I think Phantom Menace was a strong contender. And I do want to applaud uh, Mr. Struzan's restraint uh, to not connect uh, Qui-Gon's beard because that has always annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> beards should be connected on the side it's the same thing with avengers when, with tony stark like just that one little strip like what are you you're annoying the hell out of me with that strip tony i want someone to just sort of walk up like black widow or somebody just sort of walk up with a sharpie and fill that in just sort of scribble it in on tony knock it off connect your beard like in, like a real man maybe his hand just slips every single time so yeah. he's like i better even this out <laughs> Yes. You know, it's funny that like he didn't shaving. have facial hair on set. Like that was glued onto his face. So that was a very specific yeah. decision to have that. Well, maybe on the day they just lost the parts that are supposed to connect the mustache to the beard and they just decided to roll with it for the rest of the that shoot. Was, no, they were using it for Obi-Wan's wig for reshoots. <laughs> <laughs> this is um watch the documentary uh the beginning on the Phantom Menace DVDs that went out that first time. Oh yeah, that's they fascinating. Had- they had that sandstorm roll in and Rick McCallum, one of the things he's pissed off about is like, we don't even have Qui-Gon's beard. Like it blew away. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not like Rick McCallum didn't have enough eyebrow that if he needed to, he could donate. I just thought it was one of the funniest things. It's like, we can't even shoot Liam Neeson right now. His beard <laughs> is gone. <laughs> Now I'm just picturing him taking a hat around asking for hair donations to make <laughs> Qui-Gon's beard. That's awful. That's a jackass sketch, what you just described. <laughs> I've seen that. It's gross. All right. So we didn't get a poster. When do you think we're going to get a poster? I'm, do you think that's what May the 4th is going to give us? Do you think on May the 4th we're finally going to see some Drew Struzan art for this movie? I feel like I've given up on Lucasfilm announcing anything on May the 4th. What would you want for May the 4th if it's not a poster? Is there anything that you would want Lucasfilm to give you for May the 4th? A private uh, pre-release screening of the rough cut. As long as you're not asking for much. That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> be if I had Ryan. carte blanche to ask for anything I could get on May 4th, it uh, would be that. But short of that, I don't know. I'm not jonesing for anything. Coming off of Star Wars Celebration, like... Mm-hmm. If I think about it too much, I get too excited. My heart rate goes up. I'll need to see my doctor about my blood pressure. <laughs> All right. So here, let me, let, me, let me put it as an either or in my right hand. I have a Drew Struzan theatrical poster for The Force Awakens. In my left hand, I have untouched, beautiful, pristine, lossless quality audio tracks for both teasers so far. Which would you prefer that you get on May the 4th? poster hands down amy picks poster hands down brian i'd probably go with the poster too you guys are both wrong that's awful (laughs) you take the john williams music how could you well i mean it's not like it's the whole score and i've been burned every time i get a john williams score before the movie i'm like like his music is narration like if you know john williams and you know his star wars motifs Mm mm-hmm Listening to all that music before the movie's out, you know exactly how everything's going to play out. I think I've talked about this before with regards to uh, spoilers and such. For me, hearing the music before it plays in the film proper 
allows me to gain a familiarity with the music and let the music work on its own so that when I do hear it in context, it packs just that much more of a punch when I see it mixed in with the narrative and the acting and such. I'm positive I'll listen to the soundtrack beforehand, but I will not look at the track titles. Okay. I think they've learned their lesson from Qui-Gon's Noble End. I would hope so. I'm fairly certain. Because at this point, you can't even mention the uh, soundtrack to a Star Wars movie without someone immediately, like one of those Muppets popping up, waiting for a mallet to come crashing down. Qui-Gon's Noble End! And they pop back down real fast before a hammer can hit them. Well, and the other one, too, but I guess we knew it was coming, but like the track titled Anakin's Immolation. To be fair, at least that one was classy. They could have called it any (laughs) number of things. Anakin's least favorite barbecue of all time. Like they could have called it any number. Like if it was Giacchino scoring, can you imagine it would have been a rotisserie Anakin? <laughs> yes. <Yeah, something. laughs> extra crispy. There you go. Yeah, extra crispy Jedi. Something along those lines. How far ahead of time? I guess I don't have a good grasp on how far in advance posters come out. If it's not more than a few months, maybe we'll get it. If we don't get it May fourth, which I. I don't expect uh, yeah. maybe D23. I think D23 is a, a pretty good bet for stuff like the the first full trailer, if not the only trailer. Then maybe they'll have another trailer after the first full trailer. But I think D23 is a safe bet for the full trailer. And if they don't have a poster out by then, if we don't get it for May the 4th, I'm fairly certain we would get it then uh, as well. And then maybe finally, uh, you know, Harrison Ford can show up and grumble at people uh, fairly genially about his role in The Force Awakens. And maybe he can introduce the trailer since he wasn't able to be on stage and talk about it. Uh, at celebration did you see that bit with david blaine showing up at his house and doing some magic tricks in his kitchen yeah i've seen that youtube video it's fascinating because uh even when you can tell he's 100 percent absolutely amazed he still comes off like someone spilled wine on his carpet <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part is he just looks at him and goes get the f out of my house yeah <laughs> That's I need to watch this. Oh, yeah. No, that, that is 100% how he responds. He just stares at David Blaine for three seconds. Do me a favor. Grab a, grab a piece of fruit for me, like a, one that we can open up. Good. Whatever. Can we take a knife and put it right there? Yeah. Yeah. Say your card out loud. Nine of hearts. Nine of hearts? Yeah. Can you turn this sideways? Sideways? Yeah, so I can cut right through it. Let me not hit your hand. See, inside... See how there's a card in the orange? No way. See how there's one card inside? Please remove it. Take it out. Open it up, Harrison. No, that's no, no, that's just crazy. Get the f- out of my house. That's <laughs> true. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, so we should move on to the uh, the next thing. Speaking of people who weren't at Celebration, even though we expected them to be, Josh Trank. At the time, we had heard that uh, he was not able to be at Celebration because he was sick. And uh, most people uh, did that thing you do where you just kind of go, <coughs> bullcrap. <coughs> and the panel proceeded uh, as normal. Turns out the people who were coughing were coughing the truth to power because uh, Josh Trank is now not only missing on on that celebration panel, but he's missing from Star Wars in general. He is no longer directing one of the other spinoffs. So depending on the stories you've read, um, it seems like Kinberg has no interest in working with this guy on Star Wars because he was so bizarre and difficult on Fantastic Four, which is weird because just before, like literally the day before all this news broke about Fantastic Four, I was uh, lamenting how much I didn't enjoy the Batman v Superman trailer and about how much more excited for Fantastic Four I was. Mm -hmm. And I keep telling people, like, remember the marketing fiasco X-Men First Class was? I think, I'm hoping that's what's at play here. Mm. And after reading these articles about how crazy that guy is... There'd been rumors uh, that the shoot for Fantastic Four did not go all that well. And uh, this Hollywood Reporter story about Josh Trank leaving Star Wars ends up shining a lot of light on how uh, Fantastic Four got made. And uh, apparently it was not pretty. It was not pretty at all. And uh, Simon Kinberg actually had to come back uh, from doing work on X-Men Apocalypse to fix and finish Fantastic Four. Yeah, had to do a bunch of reshoots. That's not to say that the movie's going to be bad. I know a lot of people are sort of skeptical about Fantastic Four. I'm still sort of hopeful, uh, precisely because, as Brian, as you said, I I mean, 
20th Century Fox, their Marvel adaptations aren't what Marvel Studios might do, but they've got a pretty decent track record. I mean, they may not seem comics <laughs> not accurate. With, not with Fantastic Four. Okay, no, not with Fantastic Four. <laughs> Absolutely no. not with Fantastic Four, no. But, like, you see some of the X-Men films that they've made, and those don't really read like X-Men comics. I produce an X-Men podcast. I am really familiar now with how X-Men comics play, how the characterizations work in those stories and how and why those characters are supposed to bounce back and forth off each other. And they absolutely have never done that in any of the X-Men movies, but those movies still work as films. And I was hoping that's what was going to happen with Fantastic yeah. Four. They could still happen. A lot of good movies have been made with terrible, mean-spirited directors, awful actors, and a bunch of fights going on, a bunch of turmoil and turbulence, and yet the art ends up being interesting. I think the most troubling part of the news is the bits where it's like he was uncommunicative Mm -hmm. and wouldn't make decisions. Like he was just wishy-washy about everything. He didn't know anything. If there's one thing you need Mm -hmm. from a director on the set, it's someone who at least pretends he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's got to make a call. He has to make decisions, and that's the entirety of his job, is to make decisions. And apparently Josh Trank uh, likes making decisions like, I think I'm going to let my dogs tear up a hotel room to the tune of $100,000 of damage and then just bail out on the hotel. Which killed me, because what? I can't even imagine what that much damage looks like. How fancy of a hotel was that? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to find $100,000 worth of damage like a pug could do in my entire house. Yeah. I've never stayed in a hotel that ever had $100,000 worth of anything in it. Not counting the little mini fridge, because everything in the mini fridge apparently costs about, about near $100,000. You could have like a, a package of M&Ms and a Diet Coke and get knocked for 300 bucks in those mini fridges. I don't trust them. I do not open those in a hotel. But that's that's a thing for rich people. Yeah, apparently. I, I, I do the same thing. It's just like, I can't touch any of that. That's they'll charge no, me. Don't even look at it. No. <laughs> like so, sometimes I'll be curious. I'm like, what are they had? Like, no, I don't want to look. <laughs> You're just scared to even touch the door. No, no, no. Not doing it. So I want to ask you guys this. Now that Trank is out, who do you think they go after? Wow. Um, I should have known that question was coming. Depending how far along they are, which, in, you know, in that anthology film, I don't think it's probably super far along. They might just go with a known quantity and somebody they've worked with before. Mm-hmm. Gareth Edwards is going to be busy. Ryan Johnson's probably already busy. J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams also not the, the most clear of schedule. So maybe I got nothing, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'd, Brad, I'd, what about I would you? love to see Brad Bird step in now that he's done with Tomorrowland. The thing with the standalone is to get different kinds of Star Wars movies. Yeah. I think Brad Bird would be way better slotted into one of the episodic movies. Mm-hmm. I think someone like Alfonso Cuaron could give us something we've never seen before in Star Wars, and it would yeah. be amazing. See, and I think that's part of the appeal of the uh, anthology movies is that you don't have to tie it into the greater continuity all that tightly. Like, obviously, it's going to fit. It's not going to contradict anything. But the anthology movies are your chance to make one-and-dones, and you can go and get actors uh, that you might otherwise not get because they don't want to be tied up in four, five, six film contracts like they do over at Marvel. You can, you know it's going to be a one-and-done. It's an anthology film. It needs to be a complete contained story in and of itself. You can have a director just come in and do the one Star Wars movie. They don't have to feel like they're on the hook to maybe do two or three of these gargantuan productions. You don't have that with an anthology film. So you can go out and make a pitch to someone like Alfonso Quaron. You could do that. I think that's a great pick. People have been throwing Joss Whedon's name around, especially since he's just gotten off of Avengers. And he says he wants to do something smaller scale. And I believe that he wants to do something smaller scale. And I think that this second spinoff is far enough out that he could fit something smaller scale in and still go and do a Star Wars movie. Because he's been like, I need to play my own sandbox. I need to do my own thing. But someone straight up asked him, if a Star Wars movie came available, would you do it? And he was like, yup, because it's Star Wars, man. Are you kidding me? I mean, I made Han Solo the TV show on Fox, and then they let me make Han Solo the TV show into a movie. Can you imagine me getting an actual Star Wars movie? Come on now. With a real Han Solo? (laughs) So I can see them maybe making overtures towards Whedon, since he's in the family. And if you can't get Whedon... How much of a make good would it be to go after Edgar Wright? And if you can't get Edgar Wright, his boy Joe Cornish, he could do one. I think he'd be really good at doing one. 
and you've already talked to Matthew Vaughn at least once. I'm like, those four guys right there, you're friendly with, you have a working relationship with, you have people within that company that will vouch for you. I would not be surprised if one of those four have gotten a call you know, already. Here's an idea, mm-hmm. right? And this is exactly the kind of thing I'd love to see. You know, we they wrote 50 scripts of Underworld, right? Which is yeah. dark times, gangsters, that kind of stuff set uh, between episode three and episode four. Mm-hmm. And who handles the underworld and mobsters better than Martin Scorsese? <laughs> I'm not kidding here. I'm not kidding here. You get a good special effects, uh, a good special effects uh, director uh, assisting him. And you put together like some of those underworld stories with Scorsese at the helm. You really I do. guarantee it would be unreal. You really do dream big, Brian Young. Why not? <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm not laughing because I think it's a bad idea. I'm just laughing at the sheer audacity of it. Like that's great. I'm. I'm going like, oh, the guy that did the uh, Cornetto trilogy. Oh no, the guy who made uh, X Men First Class. And you're like Scorsese. Get me Marty. There's people I've always dreamed of seeing Star Wars movies from. Mm-hmm. I want that Underworld movie from Martin Scorsese. I want a Star Wars movie held by Steven Spielberg. I really wish he would have picked up Phantom Menace like he got offered. Yeah. J.J. is as close as we're ever going to get to Spielberg doing a Star Wars movie, yeah. I feel. Which is why yeah. I'm really happy about it. Yeah, and you can, I mean, you already see the Spielberg shots in the uh, in the most recent teaser. You can see them. The the look of awe just off camera to the right, you know, that the slow dollies, the running action from a low angle looking up at these people. Like, there's Spielberg shots in there, straight up Spielberg shots. So I think this is as close as we're going to get. I'm, I agree with you that it would have been cooler had it actually been Spielberg, but I mean... yeah. I'll take J.J. Abrams. This is, yeah, pretty good close close second. Yeah. What uh, about Guillermo? You know about Guillermo del Toro? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Someone, one of you owes the other a Coke. I don't know who, but it's Brian. I uh, will buy you a drink the next time I see you, Andy. <laughs> Deal. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, huh? I mean, I... I like it. I, I wouldn't have picked Gareth Edwards uh, to to be the first to do a spinoff movie either. Ever. But, but it, so- it sounds like it's going to be a pretty so- good pick. What I really like about him is he has a very particular aesthetic without it being the same aesthetic every single time, uh, unlike, say, Tim Burton, <laughs> whose movies I feel like all look exactly alike no matter what they're about these days and have the same people. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he brings like a really strong, like fantastical element into things. I think that would be an interesting. We haven't seen quite that kind of approach in Star Wars, any Star Wars movie. And if you're doing the anthologies and the point is to be, you know, a little adventurous and do something different. I, I think that has potential to be interesting. Guillermo understands mythology and fairy tales on a level that like no one, but like George Lucas does. They both study fairy tales, but they study totally different worlds of fairy tales. Mm -hmm. And I think that Guillermo could bring something new and different to to a dark side of Star Wars that we've just never seen before. Okay. And that guy, I just flipping through his sketchbooks that, that they've put out and stuff, he thinks in very terrifying ways, and he's got a really, really honest human emotional connection to bring you to all this fantasy. I think he'd be perfect for it. Well, now here's where I just break your hearts. Uh, there's, it can't be Guillermo del Toro because he's making Pacific Rim 2. Yeah, and I'm happy about that. I am happy about that as well. I'm looking forward to Pacific Rim 2. That was big, dumb fun, and I would like some more big, dumb fun. I would like it to be a little more awe-inspiring. I know that sort of takes away from the big, dumb fun aspect, but I, I want the, the, the kaiju and the Jaegers to feel a little bit bigger than they actually did in the movie. Sometimes in the movie, you'd cut to them, and it, sort of, it really did look like toys beating each other up in a very elaborate uh, sandbox. I would like them to feel a little bit more bigger, a little more weighty. Uh, but yeah, he's not going to be able to do a spinoff movie because he's getting to make uh, Pacific Rim 2, and that's going to be out in 2017, which would be right around the same time the second spinoff is coming. Here's another suggestion to take it in a totally different uh, direction. Mm-hmm. John Madden. But <laughs> I like no. that. I like that just because he did the Star he Wars did, radio dramas. But he also directed yeah. Shakespeare in Love, which won Best Picture '98 and mm. and deserved it. So you want you want something a little more romantic then, like or you would look for something a little bit more romantic, a little bit more mannered in a Star Wars movie, which sort of makes but, sense, I guess, because you're a fan of the prequels and those are very mannered films. 
Oh man, he did the second best exotic marigold hotel. <laughs> that's him. That's actually that seems yeah. perfect. Of course it was. Why didn't that even occur to me that he would be making one of those movies? <laughs> that sounds right. Corelli's mandolin. Oh boy, I don't know if I'm on board with your idea of John Madden doing this now. I don't. <laughs> you list off his IMDb, and I'm just basically imagining uh, Anakin and Padme roll around in a grass field with space ticks dancing near their heads <laughs> for two hours. Like I would imagine that would be the entirety of the movie. Like they sing air supply lyrics at each other <laughs> while while frolicking in a field of posies. Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know if the I don't know if those two things fit together all that well. I I, I dig it. <laughs> um, can okay. There's one filmmaker that I want to like tell everyone because this is the first filmmaker that everybody says mm-hmm. and everybody's wrong. Christopher Nolan. No. Keep him away from my Star Wars. Oh, why do you not want Chris Nolan making a Star Wars movie? Because Star Wars movies have things like warmth and joy and humor. <laughs> And, and hope and yeah. light. Yeah. They put hope in the title of the first Star Wars movie. Yeah. I just don't think he'd, he'd work. I don't think he'd go near it. I think he's gotten his fill of that sort of stuff uh, with the, the Batman movies. I think at this point now he's like, I'm, I'm content to make my crazy sci-fi puzzle box films. Uh, and they're going to keep giving me money to make those, and people are going to keep showing up to see them. So I don't think he's going to be uh, in any rush to to jump back into big-budget genre filmmaking. However, what if Lucasfilm reaches out to uh, the Wachowskis? No. Those guys suck. Oh, man! What? Amy, do you concur? Oh, not with that kind of passion. I, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> um, I feel... I feel ambivalent about that. I, I see a world where it could work, but I'm not like, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's like the darkest timeline, though. And they both have like goatees like <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, on a one and done, they don't have to have a huge mythology that they have to get wrapped up in. They don't have to have uh, deep philosophical underpinnings like this would be something closer to what they did with Speed Racer or even the first Matrix than, say, you know, Cloud Atlas. I really enjoyed the hell out of Speed Racer. I thought Speed Racer was a real fun kids movie. And it was a kids movie that had that sort of bite to it that kids actually appreciate, even if the adults don't. Here's a confession. I was so burned by and hated so passionately the first Matrix movie. I've never seen a Wachowski movie since. Oh, man. Oh, Oh. Brian. Don't hold grudges like that against. No, I do. It's the same thing with uh, <laughs> with Batman, with Batman and Joel Schumacher. Um, Joel Schumacher has made some decent films. Yeah, well, <laughs> Brian's like, and I'm never going to see them. <laughs> right, so, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a simple man, and I know what I like. Okay, all right. I'm not going to try and talk you into them. I will say, what? you are you are missing out. There are some good films on, and. You've reduced me to trying to defend Joel Schumacher, man. <laughs> and I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. Oh, okay. He's made some okay I movies. Have seen, I have seen one since then, and I enjoyed it. Falling Down. Falling Down is a good movie. It's got a, it's got a problematic but, message to it, but it's a good movie. It's entertaining. In my defense, mm-hmm. I didn't know it was him before I saw it. <laughs> You're like one of those kids who eats a meatloaf and loves it until he finds out what was in the meatloaf. No, I, you should be more forgiving, Brian. I can't after the Matrix, man. I really can't. I can't even believe you don't like the Matrix. Oh, I hate it. It's like what? a thirteen-year-old philosophy student's wet dream that doesn't even make sense. I repeat, I don't understand how you don't like this. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I can take it at face like face value so, and be like, yeah. "That was fun to watch." Yeah, that, that, that's a nice anime. That's a nice live-action anime it's, that it's I just watched. My brain. Okay, changing the <laughs> changing gears here. Yeah, you're right. Let's. Let's talk about Star Wars on the Star Wars show. Let's get back to the aftermath. One of the things that a lot of people went to celebration for and were very anxious to hear about and got nothing was the possibility of the original theatrical versions being announced or being screened at Star Wars celebration. Now, the digital versions came out 
and the digital versions are just straight up Blu-ray cuts. Although they changed the uh, the beginning because they yanked the 20th Century Fox logo off everything but Star Wars because of rights things, and they introduced this new fanfare to go over the Lucasfilm logo that was not very well cut together. And uh, quick little plug on my behalf, uh, I cut together like three different alternate versions in like 10 minutes, just threw them up on the internet for can curiosity's we, can, sake. If, do you have them? Can you let us listen to them? Uh, maybe Mike can uh, put links to them in the in the show description on fullofsith.com or you, or just look for them on YouTube, you know? Okay. Know. All right. But the, the cuts themselves uh, are just the Blu-ray cuts. And people have known for a while that there were 4K remasters being done, that they were rescanning stuff and getting it at a much higher resolution for something down the road, but it's always been nebulous as to what that would be. And at the time that they were being done, nobody knew whether or not Disney or 20th Century Fox were going to work out a distribution deal in the first place. The distribution deal has obviously been done because you can buy all six Star Wars movies digitally, but people were expecting some sort of announcement at Celebration. No announcement was made. They didn't show the theatrical versions. It sucks to say, listeners, if you are a listener who has been hoping for the theatrical versions, that dream is more than likely dead at, for at least the next 10 years, I would say. I, it, it really very strongly looks like the original theatrical version dream is dead. And that is due to the digital versions coming out and people who have heard about what's on those 4K transfers jumping the gun. They assumed that these digital versions would be these 4K transfers, and they weren't. They were just the Blu-ray cuts. So because they assumed they were the 4K transfers, they started to leak details as to what they know is on the 4K transfers. And there are new changes, apparently. According to Devin Faraci of Birth Movies Death, it's no longer called Badass Digest, Birth Movies Death, they changed Greedo again. That change has been reverted. According to Faraci, on the 4K Masters, that change is reverted back to the original form. The film itself is not the original theatrical version. So basically, it seems like what Lucasfilm has chosen to do, at least for Star Wars, I don't know what if Empire and Jedi have their own uh, changes as well, but at least for Star Wars, Lucasfilm is apparently, I'm calling it the split the difference version. Apparently, there are changes that they are going to make that are different from the Blu-ray cuts, and in the case of Greedo, are reverting changes back to their original form. So you're still going to have special effects updates, and there are still going to be some changes in the film, but some changes are going to be swapped back. And there's rumors now that AMC Theaters is going to show a six-film marathon before The Force Awakens, and it's possible that six-film marathon is going to be these 4K remasters. So basically, if you want the theatrical versions, if you've been waiting for the theatrical versions... You're basically a pirate's life for you. You're basically going to have to go and hunt down the despecialized editions that that Harmy did that are floating around Torrance if you want something resembling the original theatrical versions in a resolution higher than 480p. It's kind of what you're going to have to do going forward. At least it seems that way. Here's the thing. If I'm Disney, right, and I'm investing in this movie and the six-movie cycle Mm. that, that we purchased... And we're going to keep going. Why confuse audiences and keep going back and forth between versions? We've had the special editions longer. Mm. The people they're trying to sell these DVDs to don't know the difference, nor do they care. Mm. And when they did try to sell even like the, the kind of half-assed original versions... Yeah, the Laserdisc rips. No one cared about that either. I bought them. Well, that was partially because they were Laserdisc rips. So, well, I, mean, I bought the Laserdiscs too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you're that kind of guy, Brian. Amy, how do you feel about the idea that the uh, the original theatrical version dream is probably dead? I don't love it. I wish that there was a way to, even if it was only digital, mm-hmm. a way to purchase them. But also at the same time, like I bought, there's, I think that's still in print. There's a DVD set mm-hmm. that has both the theatrical and the specials. And yeah. I bought those a while ago and I'm never letting them go. Yeah. I, I have access to them. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. I'm okay with never getting a better, ver- like a, a higher resolution Blu-ray or anything version of them. I, I understand why Disney would not be like that's not number one on their priority list to do that but i yeah. wish they would at least make them available digitally for mm-hmm. people that want them well yeah and and there's sort of brian kind of danced around it but it's there's sort of a canon issue as well like if you're going to make canon as important as it seems uh lucasfilm is making it now that they're owned by disney introducing different versions into the canon 
when you've just reestablished the canon sort of makes it confusing. Like if you're going to make new cuts and then issue them, you kind of want to do that before you reestablish the entire canon all over again, right? So you had a set bedrock from which to build this new canon. Like these are the cuts from which the canon will grow. But that makes these 4K cuts, if they are going to be sort of a split the difference version, we're like, are those going to be considered the canon cuts? And, and, ulti- and ultimately, that sort of debate doesn't really matter because most of the people who are going to be purchasing this stuff don't really care all that much as to whether or not something is canon or isn't canon. It's just Star Wars to them, like Brian said earlier. But that does make it a little bit more interesting. So I'm. Well, even if they took out Greedo firing, like, how does that affect the canon? Well, I can see the argument for it affecting his character arc, but the problem is with canon, character arc isn't as important as plot point. The plot point there is that Han shoots Greedo, which is what happens in both versions. So, so far as canon is concerned, that's the only thing that really matters. Not so much how the character gets from point A to point B. Canon is about the timeline and the dots that go on the timeline. That's basically what canon is all about. How you get in between those dots, that's where people enjoy the stories. That's why people don't read timelines for fun. They read the stories that put the dots on those timelines. I said the same thing about Jabba's Palace. Like Mm -hmm. Whether it's Lapty Neck or (laughs) Jedi Rocks, the plot point is that Jabba has terrible taste in music. <laughs> and it's correct in both cases. Yeah, very true. So actually, that brings me to uh, an interesting game that I thought we would play to close out the show. Because if they are going to be putting out essentially split the difference versions of the original trilogy with entirely new fixes so that you can bring old fans and new fans to the theater for this marathon before The Force Awakens and everybody is on the same page. Nobody knows exactly what version of the film is going to be playing in front of them. Uh, I've also heard that they redid the Jabba model. Jabba will not look like he looked like in either uh, the Blu-ray cuts or the DVD cuts or the special edition from 97, which is, by the way, I think almost as rare now as the original versions. I think you can't get the special edition, the 97 special edition, the one that kicked everything off theatrically back in 97 and got Star Wars fever reignited theatrically. You can't get those versions of the film in a resolution higher than like 420i on Laserdisc. They never got transferred to DVD. They're not on Blu-ray. The 97 special editions only exist in their highest resolution on Laserdisc. It's weird. It's weird that that version hasn't oh. been preserved in amber for the I, home collector. I've got those. On Laserdisc? Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> and VHS. In related news, water is wet. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the game that I want to play. Lucasfilm decides that for the holiday season, they are going to set up a website. And for the low, low price of $100, you get to buy the Star Wars trilogy, not the saga, the Star Wars trilogy. You get a made-to-order version of all three movies. But so the workflow doesn't overwhelm anybody, and so they can get the discs to you in a timely manner. You can only revert three changes over the course of the entire trilogy. Everything else from the Blu-ray cuts must stand, but you get three changes that you can revert back to the original form, and that is the trilogy they'll send to you. What are your three changes? Amy, do you want to go first? I've got three answers, but I don't know if they're right. <laughs> <laughs> they're your opinion. Of course they're right. Or, you know, they don't have to be right. That's not true. He can He's be wrong. wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll go first. You let me but. decide whether or not his opinions are right or wrong, okay? That's what I'm here for. All right. My three uh, changes to revert. I would uh, take Jabba the Hutt right back out of A New Hope at the end. You wouldn't mess I with, you, you wouldn't get a new model or anything. You just remove that scene entirely again. Yes. Okay. I, it is offensive to me. I do not like it. Okay. I would also get rid of the uh, over the top crate dragon call. Ah, yes. Hope because I think that is just, it's not good. It doesn't add anything. And it's like, I'm like, Obi-Wan, like really he's old. He's probably got a scratchy throat from being on Tatooine for that long. I don't know if he could really make that noise. It sounds like Obi-Wan making trap music down there. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's got a a can of Red Bull and he's poured some cough syrup and vodka into it. And he just sort of swaggering down that, down that crevasse. Now if they added that in to go with the Kray Dragon Claw, I'd be okay. Yeah, a whole bunch of eight oh eight just bumping. Like he's not trying to scare off the sand people, he wants to party with them and they just misunderstood him. Hey, Obi-Wan wanting to party with the sand people reminded me of the uh, the vivid entertainment porno version they tried to get me to do a review of. What what who we're putting the game on pause for a sec. <laughs> 
putting the game Obi-Wan's, on pause. Obi-Wan's scene is with a pair of female Tusken Raiders. Okay. Not that I was asking you to go into that specific a detail. I just wanted to know <laughs> how Vivid Entertainment got in contact with you and asked you to review one of their porns. Yeah, the Star Wars one. <laughs> they sent me a copy of it, and they sent me like this little gumball. Uh, Don't eat uh, food from a glass. porn company. That's no, not that's no. not a good idea. It, it was like a glass dish full of gumballs. I'm so happy that you said dish. <laughs> Freak me out for a split second there, buddy. That's well, but, so. Why didn't you, why didn't you do it? Were they not going to pay you? I, no, they weren't. They wanted me to review it, like on like on the show or like uh, <laughs> wherever, and I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Oh my! God. Like, what am I going to say? Like, yep, all those characters had sex, and it was weird. But you did watch but it. I, I fast forwarded through it. <laughs> Once you were done, yeah. Jesus, Brian, how do you hide that story from us all this time? I feel weird about those porn parodies, like in general. Like I yeah. get why they're doing it, and I the superhero like, the superhero ones have pretty decent production value, from what I can see. Like they, they this sh- one did too. Yeah, they they put the screenshots up on uh, on websites. A lot of websites would be like, "Look at how good this porn superhero costume is compared to whatever it is they did on the Dark Knight." It looks like he walked into a tornado made out of hockey pads, and that's what Batman looks like in the movie. But you look at the porn parody, and the Batman over there, before he takes his clothes off and does something awful to another person, looks like Batman. This is amazing. I haven't actually watched those porns, unlike you, you pervert, but they look like they have some really good production value. The funny thing about the Batman one, they sent me that one also. Yeah. We're learning they've, so much. They've got it. They've got it on two discs. So one disc is like actually a clean version. That's just all the scenes they shot. So it looks like an episode of the '60s Batman. That's crazy. And you watched that? Would you review that if they sent you the Star Wars porn with all the sex scenes cut out? Would you review that? Would you? Don't try and turn this around on me, Brian Young. <laughs> you're the one who introduced this subject. We were playing a nice, family-friendly game, and you're the one that brought this filth into the show. Okay, well, let's just get back to the uh, okay, all right, the special edition game. <laughs> okay, so, so Amy, what's your third choice? <laughs> um, <laughs> do you need a second? Do you, right. need, do you need to reset right. for a minute because it's kind of hard to whiplash back from where we just were to this? I think fr- I'm good. Okay, all right. So you, all right. your first change was we're pulling the Java scene out entirely. It's gone. Done. All right. Second change was Obi Wan's, and remember, this is for all three movies. You only get three changes. Period. Yes. Okay, so second change was Obi-Wan no longer sounds like Alien from Spring Breakers. No, we don't need that. No, okay, third change. Third change uh, is in Return of the Jedi when they're at the Sarlacc pit and Han tells Lando, or yeah, tells Lando that, you know, it's all right, I can see a lot better. Mm -hmm. And he used to say, it's all right, trust me. Yeah. And talking about character moments, I, I think that was a nice little one and completely unnecessary to change. And I think it was like a nice little... A little peek into Lando and Han's post Empire, uh, post Empire Cloud City relationship. Okay, all right. So those are Amy's three. Brian, you get three changes. I think this. I'd take Jabba out too. Jabba goes. Okay. Just as a personal preference thing, I'd switch out Jedi Rocks back for Lapty Neck. Ah. They're both terrible, but Lapty Neck is more my style of terrible. And the third change, like, there's there's a few, like, really nitpicky things that just bugged the hell out of me. Sure, I could go with the haunting Greedo thing, or I could go with uh, the change that wasn't necessarily because it was a special edition thing. It was because the assets were not capable of them remastering it. But in Empire, when Luke uh, tells R2 he's lucky he doesn't taste very good, that's not in the newer versions. Uh, and it's because that bit of uh, audio track was damaged and Ben Burke couldn't get it to the level he needed so he took a different take so maybe that yeah, but the pan in on Jabba's palace and Jedi now is so bad or the, the rock hiding R2 in A New Hope I don't know there's a couple of little superficial things that just bug me that no one else would notice but okay I'll, I'll stick with those three though Jabba, Lapty Neck and changing Luke's line back on Dagobah. So I get one in each movie. Okay. I, I like how you spread that out. I think even though so many people have a problem with uh, Greedo shooting at all, and that's how I refer to it, just like I refer to Star Wars as Star Wars. I don't call it A New Hope. I call it Star Wars. I don't say Han shot first. I say Greedo shot because that's what's wrong. Greedo never got a shot off. 
Han can't shoot first if there's no second shot, right? Right. That's just how math yeah. works. So as much as people have a problem with that, the crate dragon call, I agree, sounds weird now. Jabba scene has always been redundant. That's the entire point of the Greedo scene is to take the information that was in the Jabba scene and put it somewhere else so we don't lose that information. Now having the same information repeated back to back, redundant filmmaking. I think I would mostly leave Star Wars alone, though. My three changes, Empire Strikes Back, we just bring back, bring my shuttle, and we don't cut back to the executor. So that gets restored. That's one of the changes I'm reverting, because bring my shuttle is one of my favoritest lines in Star Wars, and it's gone now, and that bugs me. Darth Vader saying no before he throws the Emperor down the pit. I, that was the other one I was like, uh, do I? But the other seemed bigger. No, that one I'm getting rid of. I don't need it. I think that wrecks the, the drama. The drama was absolutely 100% readable without you hearing him mumble no. I know exactly what he's thinking, the way they're cutting it, the way his helmet is moving. There's no other way to interpret that than him going, all right, this is my shot. This is redemption staring me in the face. I'm going to do it. I don't need to hear James Earl Jones going, no. No. I mean, it sounds like they cut out the stretches before he <laughs> yawns the no out. So not only does it not need to be over-elaborated in the scene, but the takes aren't good. So that's coming out. I don't want those anymore. Hayden Christensen no longer goes at the end. I'm bringing Sebastian Shaw back. I want old man Anakin there, smiling. I want him See, now back. See, now ghost. it's your turn to be wrong. It's your cut, but you're wrong. <laughs> so those, those are my three changes. My three changes are Vader no, out. Sebastian Shaw, back in. Bring my shuttle, back in. Those are my three changes. If you've got your own suggestions, you've got your three changes that you would make in your own split the difference version of the original trilogy, uh, feel free to put them on our Facebook page when we post this up. Put your three changes there at the bottom. I want to hear from you guys. Uh, I might float by and tell you that you're wrong. I probably won't. You'll just know. But please share with us what three changes you would make in your own special split the difference version of the original trilogy. Because that's as, that's as good as we're going to get. If you're waiting for the original theatrical versions, good luck. You're going to have to wait probably another decade, I would imagine. And even then, cross your fingers because it's not a guarantee that it's going to happen. So, whew. All right. Sounds like the end of the How are you guys feeling? You guys feeling good about this show? I'm feeling good. Me too. I'm uh, feeling great. All right. You guys got anything to plug before we get out of here? Amy, uh, tell us uh, about stuff that you're doing and where we can find you and all that sort of stuff. You guys can find me on Twitter as always, Amy underscore geek. And um, I'm on StarWars.com. And I've got several things coming up in Star Wars Insider soon. Ooh, very cool. Keep an eye out on that. Brian. I have stuff in StarWars.com and Star Wars Insider coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a piece that they teased at Celebration I wrote about Jar Jar Binks that everybody will like. Are you waiting for us to like it They now? will. It's very good. Okay. No, I was waiting for Bobby to tell me I was wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just figured it was a matter Trained of time. Trained him well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I get scolded too frequently that I don't remind people that I write books too mm-hmm. and that they should check those out. They should look me up on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever and uh, check out some some fiction I've written. Where can they go to find some of the fiction that you've written? You could go to brianyoungfiction.com mm-hmm. or you could hit me up on Twitter and I will take you to it personally, which is, you can find me at Swank Motron. I like that. That's very good of you. All right. And uh, so with that, for Amy Ratcliffe, for Brian Young, for the Mike Pilot, who I hope is just full to bursting as he listens to this on Delicious Delicious Crab Cakes, uh, I am Bobby Roberts. May the force be with you. Always. Always.